Well, let's turn in our copies of our New Testament to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, our text this morning to begin our new sermon series is Galatians 4 verses 4 through 6. I hope uh, each and every one of you and your families had a wonderful Thanksgiving and lots of great food and lots of great fellowship. And so I'll trust this morning, if you're not off during the sermon, it's the turkey and the tryptophan and not the preacher. Um, Let's now give attention to God's Word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Father, we do cry, Abba, as sons. We pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's almost hard to believe, isn't it, that Christmas is here again. It's been 12 months have come and by, and we know we see it coming on our calendars, but I don't know if you're like me, it still catches us off guard. In such a fast-paced and hyper-busy world, uh, we're still surprised when it arrives, especially when you that first time you turn on the radio and you hear it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, in October. Uh, it keeps getting earlier and earlier. But I was thinking about that on Friday when we went out and got our Christmas tree and got out all the decorations and started to put them up uh, and had just a great time getting ready. Our son Harper is three years old now, and so it's a lot of fun this year seeing him uh, get excited. Every time he's woken up from a nap on Friday, he said, It's Christmas time, Daddy. It's Christmas time. Can we open presents? And so we're going to have a long advent in the Hutchings house if every nap he's waking up wanting to open presents. But one of the things that Harper really loves doing these days is puzzles. He loves to play with puzzles. And you know, he's not bad for a three-year-old. Uh, he, he does okay because uh, he gets it from his mama. Uh, Diane is very good with puzzles and so are both his grandmothers very good at puzzles. I am not good at puzzles. Uh, I, I admire and am envious of people who can relax by doing a puzzle. Uh, all those pieces and wondering how do they all fit together. Um, but once you do get it together, isn't it a beautiful achievement and a beautiful picture of what this is? Life, even Christmas, can feel like a puzzle, can it? How does this all fit together? What are we to do with this story? What are we to do, whether we love it or whether we'd prefer to leave it, with all the shopping and the decorations, all the events, all the parties, all the stories, all that needs to be done at work or at home, uh, the pain and the joys of this past year, mixed with the anticipation and the uncertainty of the year to come can leave us wondering how all of this really fits together. After all, what does a baby lying in a manger 2,000 years ago, and I looked this up, 6,753 miles away from Jackson, Mississippi, what does this have to do with you or me? What does this have to do with our lives? Although no one 
was quite expecting it. Uh, the Bible tells us that that first Christmas didn't arrive out of nowhere. The coming of Emmanuel is the least random, least accidental, and least disconnected event in human history. And as we re-enter this story once again, we don't have good advice here at Christmas. It is good news. It's an announcement of great joy for all people. And so this morning we're going to look at one piece of the puzzle for this Advent series, When Heaven Came Down. And that's the piece of the fact that God left heaven. And from our text, I want to ask just three brief questions. When did God leave heaven? Why did God leave heaven? And what does it matter in 2016? So first, when did God leave heaven? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, short answer, at just the right time. God left heaven at just the right time. More specifically, the fullness of time. Notice that Paul is telling us here that God didn't send an idea or a phantom or a blueprint for life. He sent his son, past tense. In the ancient world, a father would set the time of his son's coming of age uh, into adulthood. It seems to be getting later and later, doesn't it, in our own time, delayed adolescence. But a father would set the time, and so too did God the Father determine, along with the Son, the moment in human history when Jesus would be born, what Paul calls the fullness of time. And that phrase refers to the completion of a period of preparation, a period of preparation uh, when everything in God's sovereign timetable of redemption had to be accomplished. When the law that was given to Moses at Sinai had to be fully accomplished, its purpose of showing human beings that their utter sinfulness and inability to live up to God's perfect standard of righteousness. And at this moment, God ushered in a new era of redemption. When God sent forth His Son, He provided the righteousness for man that man could not provide for himself. You see, when Jesus was born, everything was primed and perfect for the coming of the Messiah. This was a unique moment in human history when all the parts of history that had to occur had in fact occurred. And there are four characteristics that are commonly shared by biblical scholars about what made 2,000 years ago the fullness of time. Notice, uh, we Americans tend to think that we're the best and the most important and we're living in the apex of human history. We're not. 2,000 years ago was the central time. Those four characteristics uh, are political preparation, economic, cultural, and religious. So real briefly, firstly, political preparation. Uh, the Roman Empire was in control and ruled the world at that time. And they'd instituted something that many of you are familiar with called Pax Romana, or Roman peace. And this Roman peace provided stability in the world and had uh, made the world united as it never had been before. And this united of the world was actually helped the spread of the gospel. Paul is able to move around in his missionary journeys, and although sometimes he experiences great hardship and persecution, he also experiences great protection 
at the reality of being a Roman citizen. And so the fact that the Roman Empire had established this stability and peace helped make it the fullness of time. Secondly, economic, not only political uh, unity, but they, Rome had a great infrastructure uh, unseen in the world at that time. They instituted uh, five, they built five major highways that led from Rome to all the other major destinations around the world. And so people could travel and they could move around like never before. Jesus, at the end of his earthly ministry, is going to send out the disciples in Matthew 28. He's going to tell them to go to the utter ends of the earth. And they were able to do that because of the political and the economic preparation that had already been put in place. Thirdly, uh, cultural preparation. Uh, The language of commerce and culture and philosophy was all one language. They spoke Greek. uh, And thanks to Alexander the Great, the gospel and gospel writings were able to reach a universal audience. A Koine Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in, was spoken and read by fishermen as well as philosophers. In fact, if you're wondering what to get your loved one for Christmas, go to RTS and, and, and take a, a, a New Testament Greek class. They'll love you for it, I promise you. <laughs> Brad Tisdale, the CFO of RTS, you did, amen, right? And Ben Glad, uh, who's a professor of New Testament. But it was amazing how, of course, it's hard for us to learn Greek, but it's really amazing when you consider all of human history that God chose the moment when people were speaking almost a universal language to bring about the coming of the Messiah. And lastly, this religious preparation. There was a famine of the soul that had come upon the whole world. Paganism had failed. Even Judaism, which had not heard from God in 400 years, had failed and left people wanting. And so messianic anticipation and expectation was at an all-time high. And though tragically, when the Messiah would arrive, his own knew him not. And so all of these and more contributed to God fixing from all of eternity to leave his throne geographically, not literally, but to leave his throne geographically and by his most holy and wise counsel of his own will, from which he freely and unchangeably ordains whatsoever comes to pass, he chose this moment to leave heaven and to become like us so that we could become like him. We're still surprised, aren't we, when things happen in life, when things arrive that seem like divine interruptions that maybe we don't see coming or maybe we're not ready for. But allow the Christmas story to encourage you that God is not taken surprise by anything. God is not shocked. Uh, Life, we know sometimes that doesn't always feel like it goes according to plan, does it? It's not what we hoped for or maybe expected or maybe we thought might happen. But it's exactly according to God's plan. The mountaintops as well as the valleys are all ordained by our Father who loves us and who is bringing all things to a completion. He's got a plan. Uh, Christ could not have been born one minute sooner or one minute later than he was. And the shepherds may have been surprised. Mary was certainly surprised. But not the triune God. God was not surprised. 
He had planned this. He had meant for this to happen at this particular time. Isn't it interesting, though, if you think about it, uh, that we still measure time by the birth of this baby? What year is it? Come on, a little feedback. What year is it? 2016. Now, is, does that mean that the world began at, at zero and we're just 2,000 years old? I don't want to get into a debate on how old the earth is. But no, there's a reason why we say this is the year Anno Domine 2016, right? We're still measuring time by the birth of this man, by the birth of this baby. 2016, 2,016 years, give or take a few, uh, since the birth of Jesus Christ. Even the world which claims not to know him or care anything about him. But you just look at the calendar or just look at the newspaper and it still speaks to the coming of the Christ. It still speaks to the coming of the Messiah. God left heaven and we've been counting the days ever since. Look at the text again in verse 4. It says not only that he came at the fullness of time, but that God sent forth his son. God sent his son That also tells us and proves that this child that's lying in a manger is eternal and very God himself. Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem, fully equal to the Father in glory and might. But the text also says that he was what? Born of a woman. If the fact that he's sent by God, meaning he wasn't created at his birth, he's not like any other human being, the God the Father sent him. If he was also born of a woman, that also tells us he's truly a human being. This is the God-man, not 50% God and 50% man, fully God and fully man. This is our Messiah. This is the God who has left heaven. And it's truly amazing. Um, it's an extraordinary picture. And all our nativity scenes and all our images we have in our head of that first night is beautiful. Uh, right? He's never, Jesus is never crying, right? He's sleeping so sweetly. Uh, now having a child and being a part of the process, uh, that's, not, that's not natural and ordinary. No, Jesus had a natural and ordinary birth. He cried when he was born. He screamed out to the world. That he was here, that God had come, that Emmanuel, God is with us. And he was, although it was extraordinary circumstances, Jesus has a very ordinary and natural birth. And that tells us that he's with us and he's for us. You see, if God had just come down in his own form and not been a human being, then his death on the cross would be an amazing display of love. But it wouldn't save anybody. If Jesus is going to win, win us back, if Jesus is going to bring us back to himself, then he has to be perfect. He has to be God because he can't be tainted by sin. But he's got to be one of us. He's got to be our representative. He's got to take on flesh. He's got to do, as Billy prayed, what we couldn't do, which is to live a life of perfect obedience and to die a death that we deserve to die in our place. And so he's born under the law so that he could succeed where everyone else who had ever gone before him had failed. And that was to fulfill the law perfectly. Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law or get rid of it. I've come to fulfill it on your behalf where you couldn't. I was able to do it. And so it wasn't enough that Jesus 
would be born at Christmas and then the next day go to Calvary. He had to be a lamb without blemish. He had to grow up. He had to learn things. He had to be like us in every way. You know, there's a great encouragement in that that sometimes we forget about or miss because we, we know at church that He's God, but Jesus is a human being, just like you. Jesus knew uh, fear and anxiety and pain and frustration, but yet without sin. What an encouragement. If you've ever been in a place where you wonder, does anyone know what I'm going through? Does anyone know what it's like to be where I'm at? Jesus does. God has been there. He knows. He understands. So that leads us to our second question. Why did He do this? Why did God leave heaven? Look back at our text, verse 5. Paul says, To redeem those under the law. Now, Paul has already mentioned Christ's death in the opening of this letter to the Galatians. He said, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Now, in the ancient world, redemption referred to the release of a slave by the payment of a price. And certainly Israel would have understood this concept very well for their history. Uh, what, what's the biggest moment in the Old Covenant in Israel's history? The Exodus. Right? Remember when they uh, had to uh, be set free from their captivity in Egypt by Pharaoh. And what was it that finally caused Pharaoh to relent? It was the killing. It was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And not just Egypt, but anybody who was not covered under the blood of the Lamb by posting uh, the blood of the Lamb without blemish above their doorpost when the angel of death passed through the camp. People were spared. They were set free. They were released. They were saved. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It may seem strange to talk about death in a season set aside for being jolly, but that's why Jesus came. Not to teach everyone how to get along or to be better people, but Jesus came to die and to be raised for us and for our salvation. The death of Jesus Christ, understandably, makes some people feel uncomfortable, including those, some of whom call themselves Christians. One pastor famously argued that the manger, not the cross, should be the symbol for Christianity. He said, the cross is too threatening. It's certainly not as inviting as baby Jesus asleep on the hay. Well, I love Christmas, but the Bible makes it clear that Christianity is not a religion of stable and straw. It's a testimony of thorns and nails, of wood and blood. And the incarnation cannot save us or save anybody without the crucifixion and the resurrection. So sometimes it's easier to try to make it only about a precious baby and pretty lights and treats and Santa Claus, as wonderful as all that is. But Christmas reminds us that a cross is coming. Adrian Rogers famously said, uh, the stars of Christmas are intended to point us to the scars of Calvary. The stars of Christmas point us to the scars of Calvary. One of the things that I love about Christmas and the holiday season 
is the chance to be with family and friends. And sometimes, admittedly, what makes it difficult around the holidays is that we miss our loved ones or are lonely. That's because we love to be with the ones we love, don't we? Well, the good news of Christmas is that God left heaven because He does too. He loves to be with His loved ones, His children. God has loved you from the beginning of eternity. Listen to Ephesians 1 verse 5. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, I know if it's taboo to talk about death at Christmas, it's certainly not kosher to talk about predestination. Uh, But let me just say this. If you struggle with God's sovereignty and His eternal plans, and you know, sometimes I do too, we all do, and His choice of you to be His child, you've got to ask yourself a question. What about the fact that God has loved you from before the beginning of time really bothers you? But that's true. God has loved you from before the beginning of the world, and He has chosen you to be His own. God left heaven to redeem those who were born under the law. And that's you and me. So what does God leaving heaven at the fullness of time and redeeming us under the law have to do with Christmas in 2016? Short answer. Then... As in now, we have a Father. We have a Father. Once Christ gained our freedom, He gathered us into His family. He went beyond redemption to adoption, turning slaves into sons. When Jesus died and rose again, He provided us with our adoption papers. Think about the women on the very first Easter morning, who went to the empty tomb. They didn't find a body there. What they found was just the the burial clothes. And they went running to tell the disciples what they had seen. And suddenly Jesus appeared right in front of them, and He greeted them by saying, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He didn't say, go tell my disciples. He didn't say, go tell my followers. He didn't say, go tell my servants. He said, go tell my brothers. Go tell my family to go to Galilee so that they can see me. He called them brothers. And at Christmas, we're reminded of our adoption as sons and daughters. And you know, we're also reminded that our ongoing membership in God's family does not depend on us earning our keep. No, it depends on His grace and love as we just saw in this wonderful sacrament of baptism. It's about God's promises. It's about His grip on us. Not about our grip on Him. What we do matters. Of course it does. Works are important. 
But there's nothing anyone in this room could do or has done to put you outside of the possibility and embrace of your Father in Heaven who loves you. And if anyone has ever been running or thinking that somehow they can't uh, be a part of this thing called Christianity because they've sinned too, for too long or too much, God sent His Son to redeem those under the law. That's why He left heaven. Because He loved us. He wants us to know Him and to trust Him. And so I ask all of us at Christmas in 2016, do you have the faith of a servant or of a son? Do you see yourself as a worker bee in God's kingdom? If you're in God's kingdom at all, or do you see yourself as one lavishly loved and treasured and cherished by the Father who went through all of this that we're going to talk about this next month and all of this that we talk about during Holy Week and Easter and 33 years and the agony of the cross because He loved you, because He cares for you, and He wants to give you the very best which is Himself. We know sometimes that adopted children sometimes struggle and wonder if their parents really love them. Of course their parents love them. But I've learned myself, even as a parent, it can bring great anguish, can it not, when your child refuses to rest in or doubts your affection. God is no different. He wants His children to rest in His fatherly love. He wants His beloved children to know for certain that they are beloved. Look at verse 6 of our text. Paul says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That term Abba is a term of respect as well as endearment. A lot of people translate it into English as daddy. Our identity as Christians is as sons and daughters of a family. More than you're anything else, that's who you are in Christ. Before your uh, last name, before what, what school you went to, before what you do for a living, before how much money you make, before your social status, any of that, who you are, is a child of the Father, of the King of Kings. That's who you are. It's not to puff anyone up. When we understand what it took and what it cost for Him to make that adoption a reality, it humbles us, does it not? Paul also wrote in Romans eight fifteen and 16, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Last week, uh, Pastor Wheat said something in his sermon that, that I want to repeat, because uh, it stuck with me all week. But in talking about thankfulness and thanksgiving, uh, he said, at, at the end of it all, isn't what we really want our dad and not just things from our dad? Think about your own family. Whether you have a good relationship or not with your family. Don't all of us desire that relationship? 
with our kids, with our grandkids. God left heaven to give Himself, not just gifts. And God is still seeking sons and daughters who will glorify Himself by enjoying Him forever. Let me ask you, do you like being here or coming to church or coming to worship because it's nice people in a nice place saying nice things and singing nice things uh, and then we leave from this place and it's not that big of a deal. It's just uh, an, an attitude. Or do you have an attitude that says, what's in it for me and my family? And I don't like this about this church, so I'll go to that church. Or I don't like, you know, what all the things of cafeteria Christianity that we try to customize and make it fit our own little heart's content. Is that what we're doing here? Or is it so much better that we're here responding to God's love in Jesus Christ and want to worship Him and to experience intimate fellowship with our Abba Father? which the Scriptures tell us is like coming up for air. So much, so many of us in our lives are going around so hectically, so busy, so frantic, so anxious. And when we might come to the Scriptures or to prayer or to worship, it feels like we're trying to breathe underwater. But we can't. We can't seek the things of God Because He didn't give that. He gives Himself. He gives the gift of Himself. I know the Christian life doesn't always feel like intimacy. Doesn't always feel like unending joy. Doesn't always feel like the peace that passes all understanding. But the Apostle Paul didn't write in Romans 12 that we should be transformed by the renewing of our feelings. As important as feelings are. No, we walk by faith. We live by trust. And if you ever question or wonder, does God really care about me? Does God love me? Does He have a plan for my life? If you've ever felt lost or alone or left out, especially at Christmas, Look at the manger. Look at God leaving heaven. He left heaven to bring you home. And in the end, who doesn't want to go home? Think about a GPS and you get lost. And what does Siri or GPS say? Rerouting. This Christmas, this Advent, it's time for us to reroute our course, and to set our hearts on home. Because Jesus left His home in heaven to make it our home as well. The journey of this life can be nice and beautiful and wonderful and sometimes rough and hard and challenging. But the journey is not the destination. At Christmas time, the Hutchings family will all drive up to Northeast Ohio, 14 hours in a minivan with a toddler. I don't look forward to the journey. Uh, I don't mind the journey. It's not all bad. I shouldn't say that. Uh, it can be quite peaceful at times um, when everyone's asleep. And I shouldn't have said that with my wife sitting right over here. 
But it's not about the journey. What keeps us motivated? What gives us excitement with anticipation? It's going home. It's seeing loved ones. And so it is with this life. Those who are content just with the journey or to just go along for the ride or to just go through the motions are settling for too little satisfaction. There's more to life than just this life. God knows that. And He went to the utter ends of the earth. He went and experienced the full measure of the Holy One's wrath against sin and experienced hell and Hades and death on a cross to bring us back and to bring us home. Because He loves us. And it's my hope and prayer for all of us this Advent and this Christmas season that we will be able to recalibrate and reroute. Maybe some of you are here and you're in need of that sort of tweaking a little bit of rerouting the GPS of your heart's affections and your focus and attention. And if that's you, you can do that right now today and, and rededicate yourself to being in the Word and to being in prayer and to walking through this season of Advent. But maybe you're here this morning and for the very first time, you've never tasted and seen how good God is. His great love for you. That This is not just a nice story in a nostalgic season. This is a real human being who is God in the flesh, who lived a life for you and who died a death for you and who is raised to new life for you. And you can know that intimate fellowship and you can cry out and that spirit of adoption can be yours today by simply by looking to Him in faith and faith alone. But wherever you're at this Christmas, can we not say together, praise the Lord and Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for the privilege we have of knowing You, of being called Your children, of being loved by You. Lord Jesus, thank You that You left heaven. Thank You that, as Paul says in Philippians 2, You did not count equality with God something to be grasped or clung to, but that You emptied Yourself by taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. May that mind so be in us. Walk with us, O Holy Spirit, this Advent season. Show us anew and afresh the glories and the joy of Christmas when heaven came down. We pray it all in your matchless name. Amen.